Hey guys, Mike here. Hey, so last episode was Dakota Bittner inshore offshore fishing. Um, a ton of information, right? A lot of people like that podcast. Well, this podcast with John Royer, uh, up in PA, he's up in the mountains, uh, Clarion County. He's a snake hunter. And I've wondered about snake hunting for a long time now. I decided to reach out. And uh, John gave us one heck of an episode. He gave me as much information outside of the episode recording as he did inside the episode recording. Uh, but super great guy. Awesome. Tons of info. I hope you guys really enjoy this one because I'm not kidding. There is a ton of info that people just don't realize packed inside of this episode. Hope you guys enjoy this one. Hey guys, everybody who knows, knows that I have been running a Swamp Stick extendable pole all year this year. Um, from running my spinning wing decoys at five feet tall to uh, hanging my gear, my gun, my blind bag, um, the accessories I use like my cell phone grip for manipulating the, uh, the cell phone and getting some film. Um, using it as a walking pole, I mean, using it to hang blind mesh on banks. Um, I've used this thing a bunch this year. I've had a blast trying to uh, figure everything out. And, man, I would not go back now. I love it. I've even used it deer hunting with my bow. I've hung my bow from it in standing cornfields and sat on a bucket and hunted that way too. So, look, guys, if you would like one of these, or if you want to figure them out, if you want to see if it's something you'd like, check out my YouTube page. Look up Swamp Stick. I got uh, a review on there, and um, I really love it, guys. Use code MAMP10 at checkout. Get 10% off. These things are cheap compared to the competitors. Uh, great product, man. Really great product. And I love it. I thank Sean for reaching out and, uh, and get me one of those because it has been a game changer for me this year. Uh, guys, again, MAMP 10 at checkout, get you 10% off. Thanks. All right, everybody, I'm here with John from Leatherwood Outdoors. John, can you introduce yourself to everybody, who you are, where you're from, what you do? Yeah, my name is John Royer, and uh, I have the YouTube channel, Leatherwood Outdoors. We also have a second channel, all one word, Leatherwood Outdoors 2, with the number two at the end. So we actually have two channels. 
and I am from uh, Claring County, Pennsylvania. And uh, the YouTube channel has everything from mushroom hunting, deer hunting, rattlesnake hunting, ice fishing, and everything in between, pretty much. Um, been doing it since the YouTube thing, since I think 2008, somewhere around there. And I've uh, been rattlesnake hunting since 2005, I believe. So, uh, yeah, we've been doing a lot of a lot of stuff over the years, and uh, it's been a little bit uh, harder to make more videos now because everybody's getting married, having kids, jobs, work, stuff like that. You know how it goes. And so um, we don't have any sponsors or anything, so we just pump out the videos when we get time. We started it just so we could share our videos with friends and family. And then when YouTube come along, it's like, hey, now we can just send an email and everybody else can watch it. And uh, we've been doing that ever since. John, what is the reason that you ever started doing the Leatherwood brand, pursuing the brand, uh, doing the videos, recording, editing? It ta- I know from my end, it takes a lot of time to do them. Uh, so what kind of pushed you to do them and, and continue to do them? Well, first off, I'd say the biggest influence would be my dad. He always had a video camera. Anytime we went hunting and fishing, he sh- he filmed me shoot my first deer, um, all that type of stuff. First day I ever went deer hunting, he always had a camera. And I naturally, for some reason, always wanted to be behind the camera. Most people want to be in front of the camera. I wanted to be behind the camera, and I wanted to film stuff. So when I grew up, I had you know the VHS cameras that held on your shoulder, and I would just videotape random things I would go in the woods, whether it be a turkey, and I'd videotape a turkey for five minutes and I'd go back and watch that video now. And I'm like, what was I, uh, I don't know. It was really exciting at the time. And then that was when the, the high eight cassette tapes and the mini DVDs came out. Digital was just about coming on the scene. And I ended up getting a, like a uh, DVD burner where you could plug in and it would record what, you know, because when we first started, if we wanted to show a video to somebody, you had to have the right cables, and hopefully their TV had the cables in the back. You had to plug it in and then push play through the video camera, through the tape, and, you know, watch it on their TV to show anybody anything. And then when digital was coming around, um, you know, that obviously would you just upload to YouTube. Well, during that transition time, uh, I tinkered around with trying to get all my high eight cassette tapes, my mini DVDs and the VHS stuff all converted over into digital. YouTube just come on the scene. It was relatively new and start putting stuff on there. And whether it was the slideshow with pictures or whatever video, anything that I could get on YouTube, I was just putting on there just so I could share and have fun tinkering with it. And yeah, editing takes a lot of work and time, but I just, always had a passion for filming and editing and um, learned it all on my own. And so that's how I originally got into the YouTube. When YouTube came, I could just put it on there and send an email to everybody and say, instead of taking my camera to everybody's house. At that same time, some friends of mine that went to school with me, uh, they were in some grades below me, found out that I was doing this and putting it on YouTube. Well, they were also hunting and filming, but they didn't have anybody to edit and put on, you know, to do that other side of the uh, the editing section. And I said, well, why don't we all just, we're all 
we all went to school, we played Little League together and stuff like that. We'll just put it all on one channel. We're all from the same area. It's all from uh, Armstrong County, Clarence County stuff. And then we'll just see where it goes from there. And over the years, just word of mouth, uh, it spread like wildfire. Um, we got the, I got the name from uh, the area that I hunt. It's called Leatherwood. And so I just named it Leatherwood because that's the area that I hunt. So that's how it came up with, uh, with the name. So when, when you were a kid, like you talked about your father filming you harvesting your first deer, when you were a kid, like how early in your childhood was, was, uh, the outdoors kind of shown to you and and how was it all instilled in you i know everybody has a different story some people don't start until they're in their 20s uh hunting and fishing and things like that my grandfather was a taxidermist my dad early on in his career was a taxidermist (laughs) so i grew up around taxidermy all the animals that all all you name it i'm when i'm growing up i'm seeing all the dead animals and everything on the wall um so that also um and my grandfather hunted both sides of, you know, my uh, mother's side hunted, dad's side was big into hunting. And, uh, so it was just bound to happen. <laughs> yeah, that's really cool. That's, uh, that's one heck of a way to grow up. So obviously everybody wants to hear about the snake hunting, especially me, because I am so engulfed in the mountains. I've spent, you know, my whole childhood and all through my life in the Appalachian mountains trying to stay away from snakes. And then I see these videos and I'm like, there's these people who are trying to catch the snakes. And I've been trying to stay away from the rock crevices. Like these guys go after these snakes. And uh, when you look it up, it's your videos first. Like the, the Leatherwood videos pop up pretty much first or second, no matter how you spell it out on Google, because there's just not that much content for it. Um, So, you know, you you kind of talked a little bit about uh, when and why you you started um, doing it, but I mean, kind of give us the layout. Like, what was the reason that you were like, "I'm going to go rattlesnake hunting now"? Well, um, I went with a friend of mine, good friend of mine, and to his uncle's camp, and it was during trout season, I believe, somewhere maybe may not have been opening day, but it was shortly after, I think, somewhere around there, warming up enough where the snakes were coming out and moving around and we were coming down off of um we we're coming down off mountain driftwood uh there's a lookout up there called top of the hill or uh, top of the world and i just happened to look down over i'm looking in the ditches as we're coming down off the mountain for some reason i'm just staring out looking into the ditch as we're driving down off the mountain and uh we see or no, maybe it was my friend. I can't remember exactly how it was. But anyways, we saw rattlesnakes in the ditch. And he's like, stop. So we get out. And we're looking at them. And I'm thinking, you know, I grew up up in that area. Because my dad, when I first took, went deer hunting, is was up in Cinema Honey. Uh That area, we would always go up there fishing. Not really hunting too much. But we always went up there fishing and drove around, saw the elk and everything like that. And... He said, you know, there's a season you can hunt these. And I'm thinking, how in the world did I not know about this? You know, <laughs> I knew about all the other hunting and fishing that you could do. And I'm thinking, 
why did nobody even tell me that this thing, you know, like rattlesnake, obviously at that time, you know, there's not very many people that would want to go look for a rattlesnake. So obviously it's not going to be that popular. Uh, but we're like a friend of mine is big into reptiles and I thought it was really cool. And he's like, yeah, if you guys get the proper boots and gear, we'll go out, we'll, we'll go out and we'll come up for, there's a season and everything. And we're like, this is going to be awesome. So we applied for a snake permit. We got snake proof boots and tongs and we just went at it blindly we had no idea where to even look i mean we had no help we didn't know anybody that even snake hunted that's how it all started was just like that um and then we had a friend or two that that came with us on that opening day and we had so much fun that first day of snake hunting we found so many snakes and we didn't even we weren't even trying it seemed like, uh, and it, we were just hooked from then on. Yeah. I'd imagine kind of, and I, I'm not, I don't want to use the word pressure because I just don't understand snakes. So I don't know how they, they play it, but, uh, it, it would seem like not, not that many people I know, you know, the only people I knew that ever killed snakes were the local Virginians where I grew up hunting and they, they would, They'd say, "Oh, you you saw a snake today," and I'd be like, "Yeah, yeah, a pretty pretty big snake." And they'd be like, "Why didn't you just shoot it, bring it back?" And I was like, uh, "Well, I don't know. I'm not going to get near it." Like, I, they just sh- they would shoot them and eat them and stuff. And I was like, "I I don't know. It wasn't. I don't know if it's legal or not to be honest. To be honest, but they would. You know, that's the only way I knew people hunted snakes. And so, if, with you guys doing this, did you notice that it was just you guys doing it, or were there other people doing it as well?" No, it was it was soon after that, and it might have been even the same year. We started running into more and more people, and we started getting we started running into fish wardens looking specifically for rattlesnake hunters. Oh, so really? we got stopped many, many, many times. Huh. Um, it was almost yearly. We would get stopped by fish wardens. Um, just do a license check, make sure that everybody had a license, that we weren't doing anything wrong, had the proper gear. Cause there was some equipment that you would not be allowed to use. You were not allowed to use a noose, um, like a, a stick with a, with a little, um, yeah. rope at the end of it. So mm-hmm. you can like cinch them and you couldn't do that. You couldn't use that hunting. And if you had a snake, it, um, now when I first started, um, you could catch any rattlesnake you wanted. There was no size limit, male or female. A rattlesnake was a rattlesnake. It could be two feet. It could be four feet. But it was just a couple of years after I started hunting. Then they put a size and sex requirement um, on the rattlesnakes. Um, but, yeah, they, they would make sure if you did have a legal snake, too, after that happened. So... Uh, yeah, it, it be, and then with the videos, I was always having a video camera and then uploading it to YouTube. I remember some friends of mine, towards the end of the year, they would want to go, because the season always starts on the second Saturday of June, and it runs the whole way through June to the end of July. So you got like a little over a month and a half of hunting. Now... I remember a friend getting a license towards the end of the season. So it 
and when you first got your license, they were like the old deer license that had like the metallic covering on it. You you know what I'm talking about? Do yeah do do you mean the license the licenses that were within a whole no, link of license? license? In PA before they switched to the yellow paper. Oh no, I don't because I've only been here since 2017, 2018. Okay. So in Pennsylvania, when you got your, your deer license, they were like a, almost like a harder, almost like postcard material. It was thick paper and it was like metallic and every year would change. It would be like a silver metallic or a bronze metallic or a gold metallic with your number and your license. And then you'd put stickers on top of that to fill in where if you had a muzzleloader license or an archery stamp. That oh, that's kind of cool. The way it was before they switched to the printout, you know, real flimsy uh, stuff they have now that can fit easily in your wallet. Well, after the deer season stuff changed to that, the yellow and green paper that we have now, the real light stuff, the rattlesnake license were still like a hard cardboard square that you would get in the mail. And you could only apply through that um, by getting on the. Fish Commission's website, printing off the application and then sending it in the mail. That was the only way you can get a snake permit. And then when you got the snake permit, they would send you an envelope full of papers of how to sex the snake, how to measure the snake, uh, proper snake ethics, uh, what you could and couldn't use for tools, everything you want to know, the entire laws and regulations they sent to you and but they don't do that anymore a few years ago they switched over to the way the deer season license are the deer license are now with just printing them off just like your fishing license and now you can just go to walmart and just if you have a fishing line you have to have a fishing license in order to do this because it's run by the fish commission if you have a fishing license then you can apply for your snake permit just like you do your fishing license print out right there the problem is there's no more books handed out. There's no more envelopes full of all the do's and don'ts in the regulations. So maybe we could talk about that later because there's a big problem I have. I have big issues with how they're doing it now. But um, that's the way the snake license used to come was in a hard cardboard type thing. And uh, put them on YouTube and it wasn't very long until the world of snake hunting became commonplace in Pennsylvania because when I started putting it on YouTube, I don't think I ever ran into a snake hunter that didn't know who I was. <laughs> well, that brings me to a question I have written down actually. Um, how many new hunters or maybe just overall hunters do you personally take out every year? Uh, just a small handful. Um, I only take out really close friends and family. Uh, when I first started hunting, it was with a really good friend of mine and uh, mutual friends and his, uh, his uncle's friends and some friends of mine. And we would go every year. And that was the group that we hunted with. And um, because we would go to his camp, he would invite certain people to come. And over time, it just it got a little bit harder. I, I haven't even 
hunted the opening day of rattlesnake season for a couple of years because I just um, I got a two year old now and <laughs> things uh, work and life just gets busy. That's just how it goes. Yep. Uh, and it just slowly started. We weren't able to make it with those that group of guys. And so since then, I had some other close friends and some family that were talking about, and I was like, listen, it's hard for me to get together with those guys anymore. I was like, and they usually only go out on the opening day. I said, but nobody really goes out that much after the later season, later part of the season. I said, would you guys be interested in wanting to go out? And we'll, we'll do our own little traditional thing and try to get out every year or something. I said, because I don't like going by myself. And I'm not looking for new people, uh, strangers. I'd like to take somebody that I know, uh, friends or family. And so there's been a few people over the years that, uh, that uh, actually said yes, because a lot of people are like, there ain't no way I'm going with you out snake hunting. <laughs> and uh, so that's that's how it's grown. And then a couple friends go, you know what? I've watched some of your videos. That might not be too bad. Maybe I'll just go to watch or something like that. And so uh, that has happened. There's a few friends that just go just to watch. They don't even buy a license. They're not going to touch a snake. They just they don't even care to hold or touch a snake. They just want to go to see it because they think it's cool. And that's all the more they want to do. Um, but um, one thing I wanted to uh, say because I kind of forgot about it. Uh, when my friend bought that license towards the end of the year, they used on their license, they would give you the number of license. So a, a friend of mine would try to buy license number one. He would send in the first day that you could try to send in so that he can get that number one on his license. Um, and I remember towards the end of that year it, that my friend had like number 1700. So that was all the more hunters that were in the state at that time in that ballpark area. Because I don't think too many people were buying license towards the end of the, the last week of the season. You know what I mean? Yeah, that that's an amazing probably, amount. <laughs> that's an amazing it's amount. It's probably quadrupled, if not more. I don't know statistically how many are out there, but I'm going to say it, it's got to be over – it's got to be over 5,000, maybe 7,000. I have no idea. Somebody knows the number. I never really personally tried to look that number up. And if I did see that number, it, it, I forgot all about it. But I know, I remember soon after posting videos, like the numbers were going to the twos and threes, and then they went to the paper license. And I'm just thinking, there's still so many more people. I mean, there's Facebook groups on on. Uh, uh, just specific for Pennsylvania rattlesnake hunters, there's over 7,000 people just in that group. I don't know if every single person in the group has a license, but there's at least 7,000 people that are part of the PA Rattlesnake Hunters Facebook group. So it is blown up crazy in PA. And there's people from out of state coming to Pennsylvania to hunt rattlesnakes here. Because we're, we're the only state around that actually has a legal season for them. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I I didn't know until I really looked into it before we did the podcast. I didn't know that. I I would have guessed if you'd have told me, hey, uh, you can hunt rattlesnakes in Pennsylvania. And I said, huh. But I would immediately would have thought, okay, you could probably do it in every other Appalachian state. Like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't understand why not. Because 
if there are that many snakes, I could see why, you know, everybody could have one or have a permit for one. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't know that until recently I was watching one of your videos and I'm like, wait a minute, like Pennsylvania is like this, this attractive because of, you know, the rattlesnake hunting and stuff. So. Yeah. Yeah. It, it just keeps getting bigger every year. It seems. What do you think the draw is like, um, in terms of, I, I'm sure it's exciting, but what is the most exciting part? Like what's drawing all these people uh, to, to hunt these rattlesnakes now? Uh, I think it's a little bit of everything. I think a lot of people are, are just so pure outdoorsmen, you know, cause during the middle of the summer, nobody's thinking like hunting is gone. You know, we're not taking the shotguns out. We're not doing anything. You know, we're not, it, the only other thing that's there is fishing, you know, unless you want to get into, you know, frog gigging and, and turtle trapping and stuff like that. But like nothing that is going to get your blood pumping. And I think that's the appeal. It's number one, you have to go to the remote areas of the state most of the time, 90% of the time. You got to go to the remote parts of the state. You're going to see wildlife. You're going to see awesome views and it kills that time between turkey season and archery season, you know? And if you're not real, real super big into fishing, you're going to be rattlesnake hunting. If you like being in the woods more than you're on the water, I would say you're probably going to be a rattlesnake hunter. Um, but that's sort of what we kind of do when we go to rattlesnake camp is, you know, it's not just snake hunting. We want to try to get some fishing in too, because, you know, we're in the prime state for part of the state for trout and native trout also. So we do a lot of native trout fishing also either before or after we go snake hunting. So it's uh, not just snake hunting. It's being in the outdoors. It's exploring Pennsylvania. Because when we first started, we hunt, we went to the same places. We were kind of scared to go anywhere else because we knew we were finding lots of snakes in this one spot. So it's kind of iffy to go maybe somewhere else and spend your time when you're only going out a couple, maybe, well, when before I was going out almost every weekend, but you had these limited, such a limited season that you wanted to try to put your time into where the snakes were and not, you're kind of afraid to go to new places. Well, I tried to pull myself out of going to new, you know, get out of the same spot and go to new places. And it was way much worth it because I'm seeing cool views I'm seeing all types of big giant rock exposures in the woods, stuff that I can't even film. And if I do film, doesn't even do it justice. Just the exploration, being in the woods, all that type of stuff. And then it's also being with friends. It's a social, it's a social activity. You can have a pile of guys. Like when you're fishing, everybody's got to be all spread out. You know, everybody's spread out this year. You can be all shoulder to shoulder and be walking around, you, you know, and maybe say, hey, have that guy go check out that rock or here, well, we maybe we'll split up and we'll meet back here. You can you can do it all different ways. So you can have, you know, the most we've ever hunted with was, I think, eight or nine people. And, you know, some of those weren't even snake hunters. So it was a big social event, too. So everybody's talking and bonding as we're snake hunting. So it's a lot of people think. Oh, we're just out there just to, to 
kill a rattlesnake. And that's not actually true. Um, there's a growing trend of conservation-mindedness, and I'm trying to show that in the videos, that it's not – rattlesnake hunting isn't just about going to find a rattlesnake to kill it and then eat it and tan the hide and stuff like that. When I first started, that was my mentality. It was just, let's just go and kill. But I'm trying to, I've learned as I've hunted and I notice, and I, you know, if you're a good deer hunter, you're going to read books and magazines about everything you can about deer. Same thing with a rattlesnake hunter. You're going to read articles and everything about rattlesnake. When you start learning about the rattlesnake, you're going to have more respect for that rattlesnake. And the more, respect you have for that rattlesnake you may over time i i would believe and i see this is the progression of most snake hunters is over time you become either extremely picky in keeping snakes or you just practice catch and release only so there's a lot of people who have started rattlesnake hunting that don't ever care to ever kill a rattlesnake they just want to go out and catch a rattlesnake, take pictures because they think it's awesome, and they might not ever go back to that same spot because they want to keep exploring Pennsylvania and just walk through the woods, the excitement of finding a new spot, maybe nobody's ever been there, stuff like that. And that, I think, is there's so many things that appeal to people for the rattlesnake hunting. And I, I, I would think originally, for me, it was, there's hardly anybody that does this. I'm going to go do this. And then I have some rattlesnake meat. And then I, it was amazing how many people wanted to try rattlesnake that hate snakes, but they're like, oh, I actually want to try. You know, that kind of stuff is kind of cool. But um, that that's sort of how I think the appeal of it is. There's There's a lot to it. Do you enjoy rattlesnake meat? Is it something that you, I know, I'm sure you've gotten pickier, but is it something that you do really do enjoy eating? Yes, it is something that, um, <clears throat> I think it is, it, it's a novelty thing. So, um, a lot of people don't realize a snake or well, a big snake has a lot of meat on it. I mean, it's, it's, you're looking at a rattlesnake could be a big rattlesnake could be over four pounds. That's almost like four pounds of chicken wings um, because that's almost how you have to eat them. We actually have a video on our second channel, Brotherwood Outdoors 2. I think it's called Reptile Feast 2012. And we had gig frog. Actually, I think they shot frogs with bow and arrow, which we have video of. And they trapped some turtles, caught walleye, and we had the rattlesnakes. And we cooked it all up at one meal and stuff. And we we showed how we fried up the the rattlesnake in sections and rolled them in cracker crumbs and fried them. And they, it, it literally tastes just like chicken wings. If you have ever had frog legs, you're going to be very similar into what the rattlesnake tastes like. Um, and we put the rattlesnake in like a, a gumbo, like corn chowder, um, just fried it up just in the sections of it. I even gave part of a rattlesnake years ago when I kept rattlesnakes uh, and he smoked it. Uh, he soaked it in milk and then marinated it in Italian dressing and then smoked it. And it actually wasn't that bad. Uh, but uh, from from this point on, I mean, we've all had it and tried it. And me personally, 
I would rather just let that snake go. Um, I've, I've gone through the, the novelty and the, and the, the experience of trying rattlesnake for the first time and done, done, I've done that and did this. And I think it's just my appreciation and respect for the rattlesnake that I would probably rather let that legal snake go than to kill it and take the hide and, and stuff like that. Uh, because they take forever to get to a legal size. I mean, a legal size snake could be 10, 15 years old. And so you look at snakes that get up to 50 years, 50 inches, you could be looking up to 25 years old. So those snakes, you kill one of those snakes, it's going to take long, long, many, many years before the next snake gets to that size. And so when you start realizing how many hunters and how many snakes are being killed and the pressure that is on them and, and stuff like that, you start thinking, okay, well, you know, I, it's sort of like, uh, you know, with deer hunting, uh, you, the small buck, uh, you know, you see a lot of, you hear a lot of people say, you know, just pass that buck up. You know, and a lot of people go, well, if I, if I pass it up, my neighbor's going to shoot it. Right. You hear that kind of theory. Well, imagine if everybody knew that their neighbor didn't shoot that buck, they wouldn't shoot it. They wouldn't have that temptation to shoot it. And that's sort of what's going on. There's a lot of people that are catching snakes and being picky with the snakes. Maybe they want a black snake or a yellow face um, uh, in the colorations of their snake, or they want one at a certain size, or maybe didn't have enough rattles and they don't want to kill that one because it didn't have enough rattles. Being more picky leaves those snakes get bigger and longer, and, and in the future, you're going to always go out and see more snakes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, is Is it something where you find that new snake hunters come into it with a respect already, or it takes maybe one or two snakes to get to that point? It's going to take, it depends. Uh, one thing, it depends if you've been mentored. If you started out like I did and you didn't know a single snake hunter, and all you knew was you didn't even listen to this podcast. All of a sudden, you just happened to find out there's a rattlesnake. You never watched any of my videos or anything like that. You just found out there's a rattlesnake season that you can kill a legal one if it's this big. And here's how to do it. And you go out. You're probably going to keep the first one that you find and stuff like that. And you're probably not going to handle that snake right. You might handle a bunch of other snakes that aren't legal, and you could probably injure those snakes. Um, this kind of gets into that regulation that are not given over the counter since they did the over the counter license sales now. Oh yeah. Uh, maybe get into that a little bit. If that's something you want to yeah, touch on. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. There, when we first started those ethics, so you have ethics and then you have regulations. The ethics are not law, but they are a guide, a rule of thumb for the safety of the snake. So uh, some of the ethics would be if you see a snake underneath a rock, you know, and they'll, they'll, they'll like, like a Chinese finger trap, they'll slide themselves back in underneath that rock and you can't hardly pull them out. Well, there's guys that, um, and the fish wardens would tell me this, you know, guys that are uh, not ethical would put like hooks or nooses 
on the end of their stick to like grab a hold of pierce into the skin of the rattlesnake to like yank it out. And then what happens if that snake isn't the one that you wanted or it's not legal, right? You're going to let that snake go and it's going to be injured, right? Because you can only kill one. So you have a snake that's probably going to end up dying or you're going to grab it by the head or you're going to have a certain tongs that um, like are death tongs where you can like pinch the whole way down and maybe um, they, you know, what we do with some of the guys, because when you go to look at tongs, you can buy some for 20 bucks. You can buy some for over a hundred and some of the better tongs are more expensive, but a lot of people are like, eh, it's just a tong is a tong. Not all the time. Cause some of these tongs are like really fine cut on the metal. So I know guys that cut really nice snakes and those snakes will start thrashing. And if you're squeezing too hard or you don't have the right type of grip on your, uh, on your tong, you can cut that snake's hide. And here's a really nice snake. You're going to spend a pile of money maybe to get mounted because some people do get them full body mount and you have a big tear in the, in the hide now. Or guys will do that and then let the snake go or they'll grab them right behind the head. You know, you see these pictures of all different snakes from whether it's copperhead or diamondbacks in Texas and they're holding that snake out on the end of a tong by the tip of their head, right? To show the whole length of the snake instead of in the middle of the body. And that's the worst thing that you want to do because you're, the snake's, uh, you know, cartilage and their bones can break and fracture so easily. And you might not know that. The snake might not be, look fine when you let it down, uh, but then it might not be able to eat and it's just going to die later on. So there's all these ethics of what to do and what not to do. Also with habitat destruction, not be flipping rocks over. Um, that's a big no-no. Uh, you can get fined for doing that. That would be considered destruction of habitat. So all that information is now not given to the hunters when they buy their license. So if you're not being uh, mentored by an experienced snake hunter, you're probably just going to run blindly into that and not know any of this stuff that I'm talking about. You're going to you may not even buy anything. You might just use some garden tools because that's sort of what we did. We used some garden tools when we first, just something to pin them down. You know what I mean? And so <laughs> that's why um, ethics and these um, papers, we're, I know a lot of snake hunters, are, they're trying to get the fish commission to like, please give this out like the regulation with the deer books, you know, when somebody buys their license. Um, because they're, and you see this on, on Facebook too. A lot of people, you know, everything's thrown on the internet and you see guys that don't know how to handle a snake properly. You can tell that, you know, they're stressing the snake out. Um, cause when you have them in those clear tubes, it's just like being in a greenhouse or sitting in your car, you know, with the windows up on a hot sunny day and no time, as soon as you turn the air conditioner off, it's hot. Well, imagine that snake is being inside that thing and they're cold blooded and it's cooking. You could kill the snakes just by being out in the sunlight trying to measure a snake too long. So all these things are not given to those people when they first buy their fishing permit. And here's another big one. You have to print off a report card. Just like your deer report card, there is a rattlesnake report card and it is mandatory. 
that you send that in. There's actually a box on the report card that says, I did not hunt. So even if you bought your license and you never went snake hunting once, you still have to send it in there. It's an automatic citation. And I know people that got that. I actually, when they first started doing that, didn't send mine in. At the, You have to send it in either right after you catch or kill a rattlesnake, you filled out your tag, or within 10 days after the end of the season. And I didn't send mine in within the 10 days after the end of the season. I ended up sending it in, and they sent it back. It was the next year it was automatic citation. Because they, what the whole thing that the Fish Commission is doing is using us hunters as data collectors. Same way the, that's what the deer report cards are supposed to do. You know, people complain about there's not enough deer, blah, 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 blah. Well, if you're not sending your report card, they don't think you shot a deer. You know what I mean? So this is automatic. Fine if you don't send it in. So this gives, and you've got to tell, um, it, you, you have to get on the Fish Commission's website, look on, look for venomous snake permit, and you'll find the report card. And it's specific. They want to know the township, the county, uh, even GPS, if you want to give that location, um, how long it was, male or female, how many soft caught scales, the date that you saw that snake. Even if you didn't see it, we want to know about it. you got to fill all that out. And so sometimes it might take several papers to do that and send that in. And so that's where if you're exposed to the videos like mine or this podcast, you can hear these things. You're going to already be 10 steps ahead of where I started when I first started hunting. So it may not be the amount of snakes that you catch, but it's going to take years. It, it takes a lot of time in the woods. It takes, if you really get into it and you start researching it, it just over time. And like I said, I've been doing this almost, you know, get close to 20 years. And it probably took me a good, the first 10 years to really start thinking about that, <laughs> you know, because there wasn't that many. And then when there was a lot of people out on the lines and everybody knew who I was and you would go to a snake spot and there'd already be people there or you go back to other spots and you don't hardly see any snakes like you used to, then you start going, okay, well, um, maybe we should, you know, show in the videos because I'm not going to stop making videos. Um, the internet's going to show that snake hunting exists anyway. So I thought I'm just going to try to work into my videos, better practices for snake handling, um, show some catch and release. And anymore now, I haven't kept a rattlesnake since I think 2017. And I don't even know if I ever will um, keep another rattlesnake. I have no idea whether I will or not. I mean, if if I do, it would have to be something crazy big and with an awesome color. And I would probably be spending a lot of money to get it mounted. <laughs> um, but other than that, uh, I just like to go with friends and have fun and film. Like I said, you know, from the beginning of our conversation, I like to be behind the camera. So I like to watch and film friends shoot deer. I like to film friends catch rattlesnakes. Um, cause I'm seeing them, I'm finding them, we're all finding them, we're having fun, laughing, seeing cool stuff in the wild. Um, that's, that's why I love it. That's really cool. I, 
the the whole aura around snake hunting is mysterious. You know, where I'm from, um, being I'm from uh, Central Maryland, Carroll County, Maryland, but you know where I'm from and where I've hunted most of my life, being Virginia and Maryland in the mountains uh, and farmland in Maryland. When I moved to Pennsylvania, I didn't know anything about you know being able to rattlesnake hunt and uh it's very i think it's really cool i think it's i'm the same way as you where if you tell me that they taste like frog legs here's the deal i don't care to eat a rattlesnake and i and i'm not being i'm not being facetious what i'm saying is i love frog legs i've gigged frogs for years I'll go gig frogs if I want to eat frog legs. Like I don't frogs, frogs can't strike me in the middle of the mountains, two miles from a trailhead and possibly kill me. Like I, so I'll go eat frogs. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. So it's, it's, that's, that's the thing though with, you know, um, it's still a minority thing, even though the rattlesnake hunting has exploded beyond what I ever thought it would ever be here in Pennsylvania. There's, it's still a minority thing. There's still a lot of hunters, fishermen that are going to be like, in no way. Um, but what I have seen through my videos and through people I know, friends on Facebook, where they're, they're just mostly on Facebook and they post a lot of pictures. Of, and they're, they're big snake hunters. But when I say the word hunter, I got to qualify that because not every hunter actually kills. I don't know what you would say, but a snake enthusiast, um, but they're still a hunter. They're buying a license. You have to have the license in order to even handle a snake, but they're never going to kill a snake. They are from the get go catch and release uh, because they have the utmost respect. They, they don't care to have, you know, the, the, the mountain stuff They're They're already at that point. And um, we're seeing those people along with my videos, um, trying to bring a better understanding of the rattlesnake to the general public because they really are not uh, trying to kill you. They're really, they're, they're like a deer. They can get pressured like a deer. There's spots where there's really popular uh, spots where everybody, they might be close to a road, like up on a mountain where everybody sees the rocks and they're like, Oh, I bet there are rattlesnakes up there. And everybody and their brother goes there, right? There's snakes always there. They may not be legal because legal ones are usually taken pretty quick, but those snakes, if they, if you step on a branch from 50 feet away, they're buzzing and under a rock and you'll never even get close to them because they know they've been snuck up on. They've heard people. They know what that vibration is. They, they, they sense that way more than other places. So they can somewhat get pressured and, um, you know, not come out as much and stuff like that. Uh, it, it, it is very interesting to see the amount of people that are doing it now and the, the way that we're trying to keep, like, keeping people from running them over with a car. Uh, we're up in the mountains and people are always trying to swerve, you know, kill, kill every snake that you see. And we're trying to say, hey, we're snake hunters. Even for the guys that want to kill a snake, they're kind of like, don't be running them over, you know, because that could be a snake that I might catch and kill somewhere down the road. Um, 
And if you kill a whole bunch of them, especially like a den, and this has actually happened um, in Pennsylvania, there's been documented cases, people who give out too much information, um, too specific of information of where a den site might be, people, there are people that hate the snake so much that they'll go there and they will wipe out and kill every snake that's there. And those deads will never recover. Rattlesnakes take years and years and years to establish and to thrive. And when you take those numbers down so low, they might not ever recover. And so we're trying to get people a better understanding of like, uh, not if you're out in the woods killing a rattlesnake or uh, because you see it on the trail, you know, because they're not going to, you know, unless you like put your hand right down beside it, they're not going to be trying to chase you through the woods. And that's what we try to show. They're walking right between her legs and half the time they're not even buzzing. They don't even care because if you're not being a threat to them, they're, they're going to try to use their camouflage for the rattle to say, just stay away from me. You know, if they can't hide under a rock, that's what they're going to do. And, um, you know, you really have to be messing with them in order to get bit. Yeah. Years ago, uh, slightly story time. And I have a question within this. So years ago, uh, probably four or five years ago, my cousin and I were, it was deer season. It might've been Thanksgiving day. We were at deer camp. Uh, it's all public land. We just set up campers down there and we're, we're out in the mountains. We're probably about a mile from camp, three quarters of a mile. And we're headed back to camp and it is, uh, afternoon it is warm it was recently these years in november have been real warm down in virginia and might have been like 70 couple degrees and on like thanksgiving day or what it might have been a day but prior i looked to the right and we're walking back and we're on a logging road that was dozed out so that there are rock shelving there is rock shelving Uh, like in the logging road and uh, the sun's beating right down on us. Uh, sun's high in the sky, and we're in like a thin pine thicket area. And and there's there is a huge rattlesnake like outside. I say huge because like three feet of it was sticking out of this probably four inch wide crevice. But you could see that the body was like slunked, like sloughed in, like it it was pressing its body out to push itself out of the the crevice. And we were like, what? Look at this. Like, look at this snake crawling on this tiny little hole here. And, uh, and it was, it it looked like the, the entire thing might've been four and a half, five feet. I don't, I don't know, but I just know that it was, it looked huge. It was, it was right there. Like we, we almost could have took the end of the gun and touched it. And, uh, (laughs) so what is the difference? And in this moment, I thought, it was a timber rattlesnake. What is the difference between like a cane break or a timber rattler versus like a diamondback? What's the difference? Well, uh, the, the, the cane breaks are usually also timber rattlesnakes. That's what I thought. Okay. That when you start getting further south, they start calling them cane breaks. And then when you have the, the diamondbacks, um, the, the biggest, the, the the timber rattlesnakes are smaller than the than the diamondbacks. And you have the eastern diamondback down there in Georgia, and then you have 
you know, what everybody knows is the Western Diamondback, you know, on Texas, Oklahoma stuff. Um, but the biggest difference is their head. A timber rattlesnake's head is relatively really small compared to a diamondback's head. So the amount of venom that a diamondback is going to inject into you is going to be way, way more. And their fangs are going to be way, way bigger because their heads are bigger than a timber rattlesnake. And I can't remember because I, this was years ago, I remember learning the differences between their venoms and the toxicity and what one does compared to the other. <laughs> I thought I remember reading that the timber rattlesnake was a little bit more venomous than the diamondback, but the diamondbacks can pump, pump in probably four times more venom. <laughs> really, at the end, I, I can't remember what I came to the conclusion. I, I, I know what the conclusion was. Just don't get bit. It doesn't matter, <laughs> really, at that point. You know, It's like, I really don't care what this one does compared to the other one, which one's more venomous. You don't want bit by any of them. Um, but yeah, so with talking about venomous snakes, especially in Pennsylvania, there's one thing that we only have three venomous snakes, and we have the Massasauga, which is close to where I'm at on the western PA, and it's only in a few tiny spots. And you can almost call that a pygmy rattlesnake. I mean, it lives in, like, little prairies and swamps and stuff, and the the chances of even running into those are going to be slim to none. Okay? Probably nobody's going to ever. And you can't hunt those. They're endangered. Okay, They're almost extinct from the state. And then we have the Copperhead, and they're really plentiful below I-80 the whole way across Pennsylvania. Um, but you can find them north of 82, but uh, most of the time where we're hunting, we don't see that many Copperheads. Um, we're a little bit too far west from the main Copperhead section. But one thing that I will say this, we have absolutely no water moccasins in Pennsylvania. Because a lot of people think that we have water moccasins, and we don't. Uh, so just in case you, you want to go that direction, that, that is one thing about, um, Pennsylvania, we're trying to teach people that, you know, most of the snakes that you see swimming are probably not going to be a rattlesnake. All snakes can swim, but we don't have any water moccasins here either. Yeah. Most people, even around Chesapeake Bay, like Northern Chesapeake Bay, especially people will see water snakes because some of the water snakes do get large and then we'll see them yeah. and be like, I saw a water moccasin or uh, in, or a copperhead. A lot of people think copperheads, they think water or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, no, you're just, it's, it's probably just a, a water snake. Like they're already in the water. So you're probably seeing a water snake. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, that, uh, speaking of water, I, I'll, I'll give you a little myth. A lot of people go, oh, you know, at summertime, the snakes will be by water. So you got to watch for the rattlesnakes because they go to water when it gets hot. Technically, that's not true. Because it's not like they drink water like you and I, and they get thirsty. Because they get their their liquids from the animals that they eat. But basically, what's happening is is the, de- the the big males are coming off the top of the hills, right? By the time they get down to the bottom, it's hot. People are fishing and swimming, and they're just going to try to cross that stream to get to the top of the other hill to look for a mate out of another den, and so. That's, you know, when people say, oh, the rattlesnakes are going to be down here and down by the water because it's hot, that's technically not true. Now, they might stay there for a long time because if there's lots of water, 
there's going to probably be lots of mice there too. Probably more mice than up on top of the hill. So they are going to be where either number one, the food is, or number two, where the other female snakes are. And a fish warden told me this. They had a tracker on a, on a big, uh, rattlesnake. That rattlesnake traveled over five miles as the crow flies, crossed a major highway, crossed a big river, and up and down two other big mountains, and did that for four or five years straight. That's incredible to think of a snake traveling five miles and coming right back to the same spot. Yeah, he doesn't even have any legs. I know bucks that don't go five miles in a rut. Right, right. So, (laughs) I mean... So a lot of the times, uh, those big males, and as the season gets later, it gets harder and harder to find those males because that's why the season starts when it does. When then big males start to disperse from the dens and start spreading out, then they give the, the go for the season. Uh, because if they gave it back in, you know, the middle of May, you could go to a den and there could be 30, 40, 50 snakes there. <clears throat> All that big males are there. So they wait till the snakes are dispersed and then you can start hunting. And then as the season goes, then they just get, sometimes they can get harder and harder to find. Plus, as it gets hotter, the snakes have to regulate their temperature because they're cold blooded. So they might stay under the rock even more because it might be too hot out for the snake. So that, this leads me to the last question that I have written down today is when you, if you're going to a new area and uh, you want to get prepared, are are you looking, are you doing any e-scouting or are you just going and, and being like, all right, guys, there's a cluster of rocks over here in this cedar thicket. I'm going to hit on the backside of the mountain. Like I, I'm going to hit that. Is it, is it that, or are you, do you know where you're going to go before you go? Uh, both. Um, I'll tell you how we hunted the very first time. We were at camp and we're like, I don't know, let's just, we, we, we know that we got to find some rocky places by the sun near some woods. We just drove up on top of the hill. We're just driving and we're just looking for the first rocks, right? Well, there was a, there was an old road that they just dug out and they pushed all the rocks off and they built this road because they were doing some logging and there were some rocks exposed. So we drove back in the middle of the road and there was more and more rocks that were older, which weren't being dug up that were being exposed to the sun. Um, and we thought, well, this, this has got to be a good place because they opened the canopy up here a little bit and there's sunlight coming in and there's some old rocks and new rocks. Snakes would come out. I got out of the pickup truck and I jumped onto the first rock and there was some brush in between the second rock. And I was getting ready to jump over on over the brush onto the second rock. And before I did, I just peeked over the brush and there was like a 40-plus-inch black phase rattlesnake laying on the rock within five minutes of our first hunt i wasn't even on the second rock from the truck you know i was 20 feet from the truck and we found the first rattlesnake and in that area we found like seven in the size of a football field it was in two days and so that's how it was on our first day and then after that, then I would also scout. So as the season would go on, we would do scouting at the same time. We would look for places for next year because as the season gets later, it doesn't really give you a good uh, 
understanding of what could be there early in the season. And they're like, hey, we might we see a couple stakes here, but maybe we'll come back early in the season next year and see what what it does. Or uh, we just go up in random times of the of the year and just walk around and look for places, um, stuff like that. Uh, get get road maps and stuff and look for power lines, gas lines, new roads, stuff like that. Just drive back roads and see what you see from the road, um, stuff like that. So we, we have done some scouting too, and that has helped us put on some uh, good stakes. All right, so before we hop off here, we're about the hour mark, and I want to give you the opportunity to, one, tell everybody where to find you, and two, what is one thing that you would tell anyone who would like to get into rattlesnake hunting? You give them one tip, uh, somewhere to go look uh, for content or or whatever the case may be, where to start out. Uh, what what is, a, what is a tip you'd give to somebody? Uh, the best advice I would say is if you could find a, uh, an experienced rattlesnake hunter to go with. And that can be hard because a lot of rattlesnake hunters are very tight-lipped on their location, so they don't really take new people out. But I would, number one... <laughs> like morel hunt. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I have some of those videos on, on YouTube, too. But here's there's a threefold tip. Number one, join like a, like the Pennsylvania Rattlesnake Hunters Group and ask questions. Number two, if you decide to get a rattlesnake permit, make sure you go to the Fish and Boat Commission's website and look for the ethics and regulations and read those. Uh, all the guys that I ever took out um, that are still going out have been hunting since those regulations were still being given out, and they have read every every sentence that can be read and learned about that before they ever went hunting with me. So I would look for that, download them, print them out, keep them with you. And then third, you can watch videos, my videos on the most recent videos or the best videos because you're going to see um, talking about gear, the type of tongs, how to tube, how to measure, how to sex the snake, all that type of stuff. Uh, so those are the, the three tips, and you can find those videos on Leatherwood Outdoors, Leatherwood Outdoors 2, and our Facebook page, Leatherwood Outdoors. All right, man. Hey, look, I appreciate you, John, taking all this time and and uh, teaching me all this stuff because I have, if you'll notice throughout the podcast, I bet I spoke for a total of three minutes and you spoke for 55. So uh, that, that that is literally, be, I, I knew nothing about any of this. <laughs> uh, I, I, I've, I've talked about this before. I've even given presentations about rattlesnake hunting in Pennsylvania, and I'm already thinking ahead of the questions. So I'm sort of answering them as I think that they're coming up in people's heads as I'm talking. So I can keep going on for a long time and try to answer questions as I'm thinking about it. But yeah, it was fun. Uh, uh, I'm glad uh, you got to learn a lot about rattlesnake hunting and stuff like that. Uh, it is something, even if you don't want to catch a snake, can still go out there and just look at them and you'll realize that they're not going to come after you. They'll just sit there. Sometimes they won't even rattle. Uh, it's something that is a sign of pristine Pennsylvania habitat. And we would like to keep those, even though guys that kill the rattlesnakes, uh, they want to be on that conversation, uh, conservative side 
uh, conservation side of things to uh, not have it just be, hey, we're doing this just to kill rattlesnakes. No, we're doing this to explore Pennsylvania, to bond with friends, to have a good time in the Pennsylvania wild, see snakes, learn about them more, have a greater appreciation of them, and teach others about them. All right, John. Well, hey, I'll tell you what. I appreciate this podcast just as much as anybody who's going to listen to it. Uh, thank you very much. Everybody, go find John on Leatherwood Outdoors, Leatherwood Outdoors 2 on YouTube. Go to Facebook. Go to Instagram. Thanks, man. Yep, you're welcome. All right, have a good one, man. You too.